Hey, everybody. Welcome to What You Sipping On. I'm here with the B3 folks. We got Eric Thornton with EXP Realty. We got Dennis Tulpa with Studio Bank. And I'm William Stiles with Country Financial. And we're here today with Jason Santiago. Jason, what you sipping on, man? I'm sipping on some Tennessee Jack Daniels honey. Honey. Mm. That's right. Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee whiskey. So why is this your drink of choice? There's a few reasons why. I mean, one, I'm originally from Connecticut, been in Tennessee since 2006 by way of the Army. That's smooth. And I just, I just love Tennessee. It's one of the best states I've ever lived in. I lived throughout the whole continental United States. So Tennessee, one, just representing the state I, I love now. Two, this is a symbol of my personality. As you guys just tasted, it's very smooth, right? Yeah, very smooth. Yeah. But it's very powerful and bold as well. Mm -hmm. So I tell everybody that sips Jack Daniels with me, sip it lightly because it will kick you in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see who doesn't do that. Just by like the a end good of the personal podcast. trainer, man. Exactly. <laughs> so this is one of the greatest drinks. I drink it uh, neat on ice, splash of water, mm -hmm. simply made lemonade. So very versatile. I can use it for any occasion. Yeah, I've never had this before, and it is extremely smooth. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you're right. You could do that on the rocks or anything. Um, well, that's fantastic, man. So you were talking about being traveling everywhere. Why'd you Why'd you travel everywhere? Uh, I'm an army guy. Retired. Joined army when I was 19. I have a funny story. I have no sexy stories, you know. Well, I have some, but William's the same way. He doesn't. Have sexy I don't have stories. any sexy <laughs> stories either. So we're all in good company here. Yeah. So 19. I thought I was gonna go play college football. That was my dream. I got hurt. I called up the uh, college coach. I was like, hey, you going to give me some money for college? He's like, nope. This is the day after my birthday, April 26, 1999. Wow. So I go tell my mom. My mom is the women up north. They're cutthroat, man. They're cut from a different cloth with my family, the ladies in my family. I'm like, mom, the college guy ain't going to give me no money. She's like, well, I'm not giving it to you either, so figure <laughs> oh, it out. Oh, man. So I was like, all right. At that time, I was talking to an Army recruiter as well. And I called him up the next day. I said, hey, I'm going to join the Army. He said, all right. He picked me up, and that was all she wrote. So why wow. the Army and not like the Navy? Was it random just because of that recruiter was there? Or? Yeah. Yeah. The story is I was working at KB Toys. I know that's showing my age a little bit. KB I remember Toys. KB Toys. Toys. Yeah. I remember KB, KB Toys. KBToys.com KB Toys. KB Toys. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there. I, I still remember his name. His name was Sergeant Gallo. He walked in. The dude would not stop heckling me. Great salesman. I was like, Sergeant Gallo, listen, if you leave me alone, I promise you at 9 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, I'll come see you. And that's what I did. Next day, he called me up, and he tried to get me to join. I was like, nah, I was in community college at that time. I was like, nah, I'm not going to go. And then that happened. So it was time for me to leave Connecticut. So put some uh, context to that. What year was it? 1999. 1999. So this is pre 9/11. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you jumped on board, and then I think you. Uh, what What did you do in the army specifically? So when I first joined, I was an armament repair. I fixed tank turrets. Um. In 2003, I got this wild hair across my ass. I was in Louisiana, Fort Polk. I saw some helicopters flying around, and I was out there digging a 50 cal pit in Louisiana, full battle <laughs> rattle, hot as hell, humid. I see the Chinook drop off this sling load. Dude parks outside the perimeter, like lands the aircraft. Pilots get out and took a nap. 
I'm like, holy shit, man. I'm doing, <laughs> <laughs> doing the wrong thing. You're out there digging a hole. Yeah. Oh, man. So I had a toilet seat epiphany at that point, and I said, you know, I'm going to try to go fly helicopters. And uh, that's what I did. But before I get to that point, in Connecticut, Sikorsky Aircraft is there. My mom spent 30 years building Blackhawks. And where I grew up. Really? Yeah, where I grew up, people looking like me, it was never even a, a real thing that you could become a pilot. So after I became a pilot, one, I had people always telling me, I'll never forget this day. I won't say his name, but he looked at me and said, you'll never become a pilot. And look at me now, right? 12 years later in the wow. Army. I flew a helicopter for Blackhawks 12 years in the Army. But in 2007, before I went to Afghanistan, I went back to Sikorsky, that, the factory. My mm -hmm. mom, the president, Jeffrey Pino, he's not, a, he's not with us now. He passed away in an aircraft accident. He invited me there, and I had the VIP tour. And when I tell you, growing up in Connecticut around these gentlemen that watched me grow up, and they never thought one of us could become a pilot, and they saw me. I mean, these guys are crying. I'm sitting there signing their toolboxes. Really? It's probably, it probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Wow. So, How'd your mom feel about that? Oh, you know, moms, she's always proud. She always yeah. yelled at me because she said, you're always doing dangerous things, but if you don't live your life on the edge or pushing that edge every day, mm -hmm. you're going you're gonna to cheat yourself. So, yeah, yeah, I don't regret. I love flying helicopters. I'll do it. If you guys ever want to go fly, let me know. Let's do it. Know. So, so when, what, what's that process like when you decided you want to do that? Was it just you said you want to do it and you're in? Or was there additional training? Or what did that look like? So in 2003, we were getting ready to go to Iraq, my first deployment. And back in 2003, we don't have the luxuries we have now with, you know, email and all this stuff. So I literally had to fill out all this paperwork, put it on uh, floppy disk. They used to call it fish drive. And I had to send all this paperwork up to the Department of the Army. I sent it up in October 2003. I left for Iraq in November 2003. And I found out in January 2004 I got selected. Wow. So, so it I, took you six years from when digging a hole to get to flying. No, it took me. Uh, so digging a hole was going down in, in May 2003. Oh, okay. Okay, right, I got you. It took you. me six months to do all the paperwork, gotcha. get my DA photo, take gotcha. a PT test, all these things. Okay. So at that time as well, there was a high demand for pilots because we were in combat. Mm -hmm. So I spent my whole military career during uh, combat combat times. Well, yeah, I mean, post 9-11, so we had uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, all that was heating up during that time. Mm -hmm. um, so how many tours did you serve over Three. there? Three tours. Iraq and Afghanistan, both, or yep. just Iraq? Both. Both. I spent two years of my life all together in combat. Yeah. That's just in combat. I lived in Egypt. I lived in Germany. So I've been all over the world. Wow. Uh, now, was there any famous people that you flew around to while you were over there? Yeah, actually, uh, you guys are going to chuckle at this. I was one of the first Blackhawk pilots to fly President Obama in Afghanistan. Yeah, wow. I thought that uh, I'd heard that. So that yeah. is pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was July 19th. He wasn't the president at the time. He was running. As He's a, senator. a senator. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. was during his campaign trail, and I got a call from a brigade from battalion. They said, hey, we got a VVIP. Mm -hmm. And the way I found out is I watched CNN, luckily, and President, you know, Senator Obama's yeah, in yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah. I'm like, guess that's who I'm flying. Yes, so, yes, yeah, no pressure. To, yeah, yeah, no, no pressure, pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, I handle pressure pretty well. So. <laughs> so. so when you signed up to be a pilot, did you – you had a good understanding that you're going to go into combat at that time then, right? Yeah. Like, so that was something that you were willing and wanting to do. 
I think the biggest misconception we have is young young adults joining the military, and I had this misconception too until I joined. We have this misconception that we're joining the army to go get college money or or some other arbitrary thing, but that's not real. I do a lot of mentoring for young kids now, and I tell them, you're joining the military for one reason. That's to go to war for this country. That's it. If you don't accept that as soon as you join the military, you're going to have a problem with that because historically we only keep peacetime 10, 15, maybe 20 years. We're pushing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So there's always mm -hmm. something going on. Always something. So I tell these young people, know that they're primarily going to train you to be a war fighter. Me as a as a pilot, that's a combat arms job. I was in the mix all day. Same thing as an armament repairer. I mean, I fixed tank turrets. So I was with tankers all day. So I was always at the front line doing stuff and always engaged. So Yeah, wow. When you're watching this stuff going on overseas right now, because I see a lot of stuff on Twitter, like the Russian tanks broken down. Yeah. Do you, I mean, are they pieces of crap? Because everybody says they are. Um, is that something that you see? And since you've worked on them, you're like, wow, like, this is not what we thought that maybe they had? Uh, the best thing I'll say, so I don't, you know, yeah, yeah, violate yeah. any OPSEC or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's never what we think it is. Right. Yeah, okay? exactly. Yeah, Just, yeah. The big, one of the biggest things that got on my nerve was the whole thing when Afghanistan, the, the pullout of Afghanistan mm-hmm. happened, okay? Mm-hmm. I had all these people talking about we left all these helicopters there. We left all this. I mean, if anybody knows how much money it goes into just flying one Blackhawk, okay, all those are 2,500-pound paperweights, 25,000-pound paperweights. That's it. It takes a lot of maintenance, a lot of money. I mean, I could sit you three guys in the air in the Blackhawk right now and tell you to start it, and you guys will be absolutely lost. Mm. Yeah. You won't even. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe some training, but that's only the beginning. Do you start the engines without burning them up? Right. Do you guys know what to do to get the engines to 100%? I mean, there's a process to that. You can't just take some Joe Schmo and put him in a helicopter and think he's going to go fly it and go do willy-nilly. That just doesn't happen. Right, right. So when I hear people talking about stuff that they really don't know what they're talking about, it's just very aggravating. Uh, I bet because, you you know, you've served for so long and you've been involved in so much. You probably hear stuff all the time, and you're, you're like, man, what the hell? Come on. Yep. Just relax so what's that, what's that training process like? I mean, you're, you're articulating everything that you – not everything, but a lot of what you have to learn. I'm sure that perception is very different from whenever you first saw that Chinook come in yeah. and land and you're digging the hole in the Tennessee heat. So, I mean, is there a bunch of classroom portion before you're ever in the cockpit? I, mean, I don't even know the right terminology. But what that's, what's that look like from so day the, one of training? To the first, there's two ways to become a, an aviator in the Army, which I will say this right now. Some people will get mad. The best helicopter pilots in the world are in the Army, hands down, because this is what we do, especially the warrant officers. This is just we eat, sleep, shit, flying helicopters, mission, mm-hmm. all this stuff. So first thing you have to do is become a warrant officer. They'll send you to warrant officer school. When I went through, I think it was six weeks. This was back in 2004, so this is a while ago. Mm-hmm. Six weeks back then, it was just pretty much six weeks of straight hazing. I mean, you're doing bullshit. Really? Carrying heavy duffel bags, Alabama heat. I mean, uh. from this building to the next building, just a lot of – they want to see if your attention to detail, if you're going to break. Mm-hmm. So you do that after you do after you do the six weeks of warrant officer, you become uh, uh, an, a warrant officer. 
Then you start flight school. You start off with your nickel ride. You learn how to fly a TH-67. I don't know if it's the same right now. You'll do about, can't remember how many. It's about six months, I think. Six months. You got to learn weather. They teach you weather. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, pilot and uh, reckoning. You know, how to navigate off a map with a compass. All this stuff while you fly. And then after that, then you start flying your advanced aircraft. But even then, when you leave flight school, you know nothing. Right. Nothing. I mean, you are a very young aviator. From the time I left flight school and the time I retired, I essentially was flying the aircraft by myself because I was always with, I was a senior aviator. I was always with weak, young PIs. And I was a maintenance test pilot, too. Mm. So it was a little overwhelming, but you just got to stay. We have a term in the Blackhawk, well, in the aviation community, you got to stay ahead of the aircraft. Right. And that only way you get that is situational awareness, flying, putting yourself in a... I'm curious, is, is there something that you would do as a habit um, before you went into combat in the helicopter? Was there something that you kept on you um, that, or just something that you would say, like a mantra? Was there anything like that? Uh, it's, it's funny you ask that. There's three things that were on me every time I flew well, while I was in combat. I had okay. A, I had a small pocket Bible okay. on my left leg. Okay. I had a little a little metal cross. Okay. I kept it above my heart. And then anytime you bent bent the pinwheel, like the tailwheel pin, that means you just you're torquing the aircraft a little bit too okay. much while you're ground taxing. Uh-huh. And it, it's easy to bend, so everybody heckles you. So the the thing is once you bend that, you have to carry it on you. So I always had those three things on me every time I flew. Wow. I didn't have anything sexy like uh my last letter. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's Hollywood, man. I didn't do none of that. I stuff. didn't know if you had like a picture of your girlfriend, your nah. mom, or something hung it up, you know, like in Vietnam movies or whatever. Nah. So, so, so maintenance test pilot. There's a couple words in there that scare me. On top of just yep. being a regular pilot, so like, what correct. Kind of, what kind of variables are there whenever you're <laughs> like you, you're fixing problem and then the test aspect like are you literally going up like well see how this thing goes and hopefully yep. it stays in the air like what's that what's that <laughs> yeah. look so like there was this we had a phase the aircraft that means after so many hours every, the whole aircraft had to be taken apart and put back together so the first person to fly is that as a maintenance test pilot so whoa, whoa, whoa. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> whoa 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 Let's bring that back a second uh, you gotta take the helicopter apart put it back together again there jason yep Come here, you're going to fly this. And I'm like, yes, let's so are go. You fl- are, like, all right, are let's you, go. Let's do are this. Are you a part of the whole process of it being disassembled, reassembled, or is there literally just that much trust in the team? Oh, is that, that much trust that? in the team? Yeah. I mean, it's probably thing, man. That's checked and rechecked. Yeah, like, there's, triple a checked. Lot of, there's a lot of – so you got a PC, QC. There's a lot of checks. And then you got me checking it. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of eyeballs on it. So it's not anything just willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in some crazy situations where they check the engines. I'm trying to start my engines. I go to idle. Nothing's happening. I'm like, damn, what is going on? I'm getting all the indications. The engine's just not starting. So for an engine to work, you need a spark. All right, you need fuel. You need air. Right. Those three things. Right. We all know that, right. right? Yeah. So I'm figuring, man, one of these things. One of these three things are missing. So I had my, my crew chief go up there and look at the engine, and out of nowhere, sir, turn it off. <laughs> oh my turn God. it off. So the way that the, the PSIs for the fuel, when every time I engaged the button, went to, to idle, fuel was spraying out at a high rate of speed. 
Now, as fuel, as you know, fuel, if it's all piled up on the floor, it won't catch fire. But if you start getting it, you know, missed, yeah. it'll, it'll catch quickly. So I had to turn it off there. But, I mean, I would have to go 10,000 feet in the sky, put the engines to idle, fall out of the sky at a high, high rapid rate of speed just to make sure the RPMs wouldn't go too high. There's a lot of stuff going on. So wow. I give you credit for that. Wow. And mind you, I got the, the guy that's flying with me is the brand new dude out of flight school that doesn't know how to even, he can't even maintain a thousand feet, 90 knots. It's just, just like. So it'd be like bringing William up there. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's like, all right, let's go. You ready? Yeah. Uh, test the parachutes while we're at it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we're going straight up and dropping this bad boy. <laughs> Correct. Oh, man, that's awesome. So um, going into, you, you did all this, you retired. Now you, you decide to come back to Tennessee. Why did you decide to come back to Tennessee? Because you were in Connecticut. Uh, you've been all over the world. You retire. What brought you back here? Well, the Army brought me here. So oh, okay. okay. When I retired, I was in Fort Campbell. Okay. So I, I always made a promise to my kids, my older kids, that, and my wife at the time, you guys, you know, keep stick, stick by my side. The kids will only go to one high school, and that's what I did. My kids, you know, through my whole military career, went to one high school, and that was it. That's awesome. So, like I said, I just love Tennessee. I I told it. I tell everybody because like I got some people. One of my buddies want to move. I said, "Go ahead, man. You're not gonna find a lot of places like Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it ain't perfect. We have our issues, right? But there's a reason why everybody from California, Illinois, New York, they're coming here. Yeah. So, and that's something that we were talking about before. Just the amount of people that are coming here, right? Yep. You being in real estate, you're seeing it all the time, and yep. And, and, and I'm from Illinois, so and I personally lived it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, being in lending, um, that's something you see all the time, too. So so you moved back here. You guys got established, and um, now you're in health and wellness. So how did you go from not being – I don't think flying a helicopter 10,000 feet in the air and dropping it is actually healthy, but how did you go from being unhealthy <laughs> to saying, I'm going to be in health and wellness and I'm going to open a gym? So I read a book when I was going through the retirement process. It was called uh, the seven day, I think seven days to the work you love and or 14 days, something to that effect. But I always thought about fitness when I was leaving the military fitness. But the main reason I do it, I know I know what my purpose is in life. That's to serve people, serve my community. I've served my country. I've been serving people my whole entire life. So. I felt the best platform to use at this time was to open a gym. Mm. And that's how it started. I went to TSU. I got my MBA while I was there. A uh, signature student for leadership, GPA, Excel. They sent me to Japan. I represented TSU. Free trip to Japan. That was great. Wow. And at that time, I just started training people. And I just saw, th- I got that same feeling when I was flying those young aviators in the cockpit. You know, their, their, their eyes were lighted when they finally got it. Mm. Same thing when I train people. People literally cry when they start to believe in themselves, and that's what it all what it's all about. Mm. People lose control of life because life happens to all of us. But when I start giving them that hope and that belief, I think that was a good platform. Yeah. Wow. But this is just the beginning. the The fitness industry. I have other, you know, plans and aspirations to reach more people. But yeah, it's all about impacting the community, making everybody around me better. Man, I want to ask you. I just. Looking back into your military history, I'm just noticing some trends. I mean, you've got the um, the look at me now moment where people that said you'll never be a pilot, mm-hmm. you you were a pilot. Not only were you a pilot, where you were a pilot in some very stressful situations, like you were completely 
betting on yourself. Correct. Like you said, you've got that young aviator sitting beside you, so it's everything's on you. Correct. At that point, you're not looking. Hey, buddy, you got any ideas? Like as you're falling ten thousand feet out of the sky, yeah. right? <laughs> so I mean, it's no question to me that you were willing to bet on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, to go into business for yourself. But I, I mean, even it just early on in your business, what was what was the toughest thing for you? Um, kind of branching out of the military and jumping out, you know, there into the business world. It's a great question. That is a good question. I think. I think one of the biggest things I, even to this day, I deal with, uh, Will and I had a conversation, is the public doesn't have any humility for us. You know, they're really, there's one, I made some big changes. One one thing I tell everybody, one, make a decision. No matter what that decision is, make it, stand by it. Because we don't know how that decision is going to turn out, right? We can make well-informed decisions, but there may be something in there that you don't see, some data, there's, there's a zillion things that could change that one decision. So make your decision, stand by it. I think I made a lot of big changes at FitRev, and there's one thing that kind of disturbed me. People are willing to destroy your livelihood over $90. And yeah. it's, it's crazy. I just sit back and I think about this. Like People are really putting their blood, sweat, and tears to provide people a good service, and you're upset over $90. And that's something I really had to, you know, I had to swallow that pill. I'm past it now because as a business owner, we all evolve. It's like a caterpillar, right? Mm-hmm. And one of my business coach, he said it to me last week. He said, Jason, I, I'm starting to see that change in you, and that's a great thing. But we want to try to make people happy, right? Yeah. We can't make everybody happy because all three of us, all four of us, we're, we're in the servicing. We serve people all day. Right. Yep. But when people call you up over something so minute and they're just mad at you, I'm like, hey, man, let's let's try to be nice to each other. Being nice yep, to each other, there. it's free. Okay? So that was, that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, that's one of the biggest things. Second guessing myself is another one. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, to your point about people, you know, and I, we talk about this a lot too, is just it, it – it blows my mind the what people will argue about and and complain about. It Correct. Just, oh, it blows my mind. Every, do you guys get that? Yeah, and I think you learn a lot from being in the service industry. Correct. Right? Because some folks may not experience the day-to-day that people that do serve people that deal with clients do, and they don't know what that feels like to get that criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was a server for a little bit through college, and you learn a lot there, how the way people treat you, and you realize that at that point that you don't want to treat people that way. Correct. And some people just never, I don't maybe come across and have that realization that it is hurtful to you to call you and complain about $90. When it's ninety dollars, you can have a civil conversation. Correct. And you'd probably give them the ninety dollars back. Exactly. That's yeah. that's that's another thing. So many issues could be resolved if we just talked about it. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath. That's it. Yeah. And it Just doesn't even re- require a text message. I think that's one of the biggest issues we're having nowadays. We're losing our effectiveness, our our effectiveness to communicate with each other. A thousand percent. Yeah, and I tell people this is something that you could have brought to me. We could have resolved this in a sixty second conversation. Yeah, literally, you could have slept better at night. You wouldn't have had all this anxiety, but you were just, I don't understand. Just come talk to people. Yeah, just yeah. just communicate. Yeah, be a straight shooter. Be professional, but talk to people. You'd be surprised by by the response you get from people. So you, you talked about your business coach. Um, you know, you obviously were very successful in the military, and then now you're in um the business world and and you're having to grow your business 
Um, do you think that it's a good thing to have a business coach? Because we've talked about this a little bit, and I have a, I've had a business coach in the past. Um, is that worth the money? Definitely. You should always have a coach, period. I mean, I think the business coaches, I've had several. I've always had a – I had a business partner before. Now I had a business coach. The business coach keeps me in line, keeps me accountable, tells me, AJ, if you're strain, if you're strain off a little bit, you know, get yourself back in line. But I believe in coaches. I'm a coach. We're all coaches as leaders. We coach our children. We all need somebody to hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing I like to do. I like to be around uh, successful other men because we need to pour in each other and make sure, hey, we're holding each other accountable as fathers, leaders in the community. We're not perfect. And that's another thing. The level of grace that we get as men is just its so minute nowadays that yeah. if we make one mistake, they just want to throw us in a fire. I'm like, come on, man. We we got a lot of things going on in life. And, yeah. you know, we're trying to maintain that good role model it's like we're on 24-7, especially as a, a business leader. Yeah. And, hell, the only time you – only peace time I get really that 4 o'clock in the morning when I'm just waking up. It's yeah. My, it's my quiet time. Yeah. And so, I'm sending you my uh, supplements. Um, yeah. My <laughs> uh, Jason's my training coach, by the way. Well, you know um, he calls himself Diesel Dad, right? That's yeah, his yeah, nickname? yeah. I yeah. call him that, too. All right. Oh, I've perfect. got the T-shirt to prove it. I've got the T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> so you said 4 a.m., man. Is that, a, is that a daily thing? Is that your morning yeah. routine? Yeah, 4 a.m. is a get up in the morning, um, spend some time by myself, quiet time, just try to meditate, clear my mind, get my mind ready for the day. Because you're a father of four? Yep. Okay, and you still you have one turning three, May? Yep. So, and then your other girls... I got I got two sons. Two sons. And a, I'm a grandfather as well. Yeah. I got two sons. Yeah, can you believe that? I got yeah. my older yeah. daughter and then I got my baby girl. Yeah. Grandfather. Yeah, grandfather. Grandpa Jason. Yeah. <laughs> they uh he, my Grandpa Jay, nah, they call it's you. Uh, J Pop. J Pop. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Is that what you created or did he come No, nah, no, nah, actually Coach Kyle. You know Coach Kyle. Yeah. He works at uh US Pest Control. I'll give him yeah, a yeah. shout out because yeah, he's yeah. my guy. Uh, his wife, Ashley, actually came up with that name because her story at FitRev is when she came in to sign up for personal training, I told her that day, I said, this will be the best decision of your life. And she actually talked about it at her wedding because that, with that decision, she met Coach Kyle, they fell in love, and they got married. So at her wedding, she in front of everybody, she said, I personally want to thank Coach Jason for telling me that day that I signed up at FitRev that that this was the best decision of my life because it turned out to be the best decision of my life. Wow, that cool is that, awesome. Man. That's awesome. See? And wow. that's what it's all about. Yeah. Changing lives, man. Yeah, actually having an impact. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about FitRev then. Like, how did that get created? Like, the, the start of that company. So, FitRev got created. Like I said, I was getting my, my MBA at TSU. Uh, I needed something to do because, mind you guys, I'm retired from the Army. I never have to work again. I literally, for two years, chilled, had fun. Got all the stress. I probably got 10 years of my life back when I retired from the Army because it's such a high-level stress job. Uh, I started training. I became yeah. a trainer. I became very successful. I mean. Did you do that at UFC whenever yeah. UFC was there? Yeah. Okay. So people, people couldn't believe the amount of money I was generating as a coach. So I just decided I was going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how FitRev pretty much came about. But FitRev three years ago to FitRev today is a completely, completely different company. Complete. I had to learn the hard way what 
you know, a good or bad business model look like and what a good business model look like. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the biggest thing about FitRev, we're all about quality. Okay. You're going to come there. We're going to identify what your goals are and we're going to get you to your goals, teach you in a process and essentially make this the last program you'll ever need in your life. Because what I don't do, I'm a straight shooter. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bullshit people. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be successful. I think where a lot of people miss the mark, they want quick solutions. It's Mm -hmm. not a quick solution. I could get you there fast, but I want to make sure you stay there after we get there. And I tell a lot of people, you have to do the things. You have to continue to do the things that got you to where you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after you lose your 30 pounds, you don't go back to where you're at. Yeah. All right. We got to keep you there. So you don't have to go back to that lifestyle and you can live healthy for the rest of your life. So uh, that's so funny that you mentioned that. I, so I'm on Jason's program and I've lost, what, 12, 13 pounds, yep. I think, in four weeks. Four weeks. Um, so I was talking to someone else the other day and they were saying, you know, you go to you have Thanksgiving dinner and that blows your diet and you, oh, you freak out, right? Because that's the end of it. I'm done. Um, but it's the days after that that matter. Correct. Right. And so, you know, me and you've had discussion about having a cheat day on Saturday. Okay. But what's the days after that look like? And as long as you're reining that in, um, talk to us a little bit about the two different uh, fit revs because you got the fit rev you started out with and the fit rev now. What's, was there any type of aha moments you had that made you make that change? Yes. I realized it was probably, it started in October, November. Last year, recently, I realized that not everybody is my customer. The sooner you realize that and start focusing on the people that you really need to serve, it changes your life forever. Uh, Everybody's just not my customer. I get that. People say I charge too much. That's fine. But the level of service and what you're getting behind that, Mm -hmm. that, that's where the value comes. I'm essentially going to solve a problem that you've been having for maybe your whole life. Maybe for five years, you've tried other places, it hasn't worked for you. Mm-hmm. You come to FitRev, you do the things I ask you to do, and you use the tools that I give you, you're mm-hmm. going to you're gonna re- reach your goals. Yeah. And that's what I want people to see, that once you get there, and we do everything back by science. I mean, the coaches I have, myself, I want when people see FitRev, I want them, all, I want them to see quality. Like, right. yo, this is the place I'm going to go and, and actually – be a part of a, a badass community because mm-hmm. you're there. Today we're there. The place was freaking rocking it at lunchtime. Packed. Yeah, it's crazy. We had to share bags, the box. Yeah. And, and this all started within the last, it's always, we always had a good, decent crowd. But when I made that conscious decision that, you know, everybody's not my member and I'm looking for people who are serious about their health. All right. If you could invest $400, $500 in a car note and then you sit here and tell me that, 200 or 300 is too much for yourself, your priorities are messed up. And that's just, I'm just being a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. All right, you could go buy another car, you could go make more money. What you can't do, you don't have more time. People don't realize that shit. You don't have more time. Yeah. For every day you say, I'll do that tomorrow. Yep. All right, your life is just ticking away. Yeah. And it boils down to your quality of life. Because one thing we're not going to beat is Father Time. He's going to kick you in the balls every time. So you might as well. People ask me, how do you look so young? And even in today in class, I'm I'm an older dude, and I'm running laps around these younger guys. And I'm like, damn, Jason, how do you do this? Because I give myself the nutrition that I need. Just for men? Hair? No, so, no, no. Oh, bro. okay. Nah, bro, I don't, you see the gray in there, right? 
But I, I take care of myself. And the reason I take care of myself is because, one, I have a whole community watching me. When I show up, everybody knows, hey, that's Jason from FitRev. So I have to play the part. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, I have young men and women that are looking up to me, my children, the people I mentor, mentor in a community. Okay? If, if I'm telling them to be healthy, I have to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the biggest thing, man. I want people to know we just went through a damn pandemic. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And all the doctors, every scientist, everybody said you could beat this. If you eat healthy and exercise. Yeah. Do you guys see a long ass line outside of FitRev? It blows my mind. Like I'm literally giving you the tools so you could arm your life, teach your children, Mm -hmm. all right, to be healthy. Because that's what it boils down to. You don't want to give your children these poor, these poor habits. And now you have to watch your kids live unhealthy. All right. I had one man cry in front of me one day. I told him, I said, the reason your family's unhealthy is because you're unhealthy. You're the king of your castle, man. Mm-hmm. You're you are you are you are up here to your children's eyes. And if if this is the best you could give your children, you're doing a disservice to your children. Straight yeah. up. Yeah. Straight up. I mean, that's just Well, and I, you know, we've had this conversation too. I used to own a gym and the reason I owned it was because I wanted my kids to be in a gym. I wanted mm-hmm. them to see me exercise every day. I wanted them to be there and live that so that they could s- be diesel dad. So um, that's why you do that every day? Oh, I do it for a lot of reasons, man. I mean, uh, my wise, I mean, I've lost about 13 friends in Army. All right. Majority of them from combat. Some of them from aviation accidents. Uh, I owe it to them guys to not to wake up every day and be, you know, don't complain. Give it my best. Put my best foot forward and kick life in the balls, man. Yep. These guys and these gals are not here to make that decision. Yep. So I owe it to them to at least, you know, give it my all. Yep. Uh, my children, I think, especially in my community, they we need more positive role models out there. Mm-hmm. So I just want these younger kids to know that no matter where you come from, no matter what your circumstances are in life, you choose your destiny. Mm-hmm. No matter what. I mean, the shit may be hard, but get up. Don't complain. Learn the skills. We all need skills to get us somewhere, and just put your best foot forward. And you'll get there. Yeah, love it. So that that's my biggest reason, man. I I think uh, I'm just motivated by people that have doubted me my whole life. Yeah. So man, Jason, I'm just sitting here looking you in the eye, dude. I mean, you can your conviction just yeah. I mean comes across the room, and you're you're passionate about what you're doing, and it's showing in your results. The journey from personal trainer to to business owner, and now you've got to surround yourself with help. I mean, you you've got a large clientele, and you can't do it all yourself. I can still tell you're very involved. But how do you how do you instill that in your team? How do you find people that will buy into that culture, that community that you're creating? Yeah, good question. That's a great question. You know, that's something I, coming in with some coming in hey, man, bombs, man. Yeah, Woo! That's, that's something I uh, I deal with every day, actually. I mean, I have two great coaches, Coach Carolyn, Coach Sydney. I mean, I'm blessed to have these two ladies in my life. It's hard to find people like that, but when, once you do find them, you got to take care of them. I mean, you just got to pour into them, teach them. I don't know. We're in a different world right now. I don't know what's going on. In the, I really don't have that answer because I know a lot of people are dealing with that. But I try to find young people that the biggest thing is I don't care if you went to college. I do care if you have a – uh, you know, certified personal train. That's just a liability thing. And sure. I want to provide quality to people. The biggest thing is uh, have humility. 
If you mess up, you mess up. We all mess up. Just own the shit. Let's move on. Let's learn from that. And I think a lot of, and you have to be coachable. Right. You have to be. I mean, every time I talk to Will, I'm learning something from him. He learns from me. Dennis, all you guys. I mean, that's, you just have to be open-minded. And I think we live in a society now, in a world that just because we have information at our fingertips, we think we know everything. Mm. And that shit is wrong. I tell everybody. You know what they can't teach you in life? Experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know why I know what it, what it feels like to dig a damn 50 cow pit? Because I beat up the damn limestone with my own hands. How do I know what it feels like to fly in Afghanistan pitch black? I can't even see my own hand in front of my face in the cockpit because I've done it. So experience, this is stuff you can't read in a book. Right, okay? right. And that's how I know when, when I first meet a trainer, that's one of my first things I... Uh, observe how much you know blah 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 they're gonna start spitting out at me and i'm just um, i'm not really impressed let's see how you really deal with you know a lady that comes in she's had breast cancer and has all these problems hormonal issues how are you gonna handle that mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. so biggest thing is experience and be coachable yeah, I always tell everybody that comes into sales, you got to be two things. You got to have a good attitude and good activity. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a good attitude, your activity is going to suck. I mean, that's the bottom line. So, And I would have to think just some of the same way that your clientele has grown, seems like maybe you might be positioned to grow your staff that way too, right? I mean, because just like you're, you're attracting clients, mm-hmm. you're attracting people who want to work for you, want to work with you at the same, to- at the same time. Yeah. Right? So yeah, that's just by one, virtue of being yourself. Correct. That's one. I mean, some people... I've been told that I intimidate people, and I try. No, <laughs> who said not the that? diesel dad. <laughs> no, man, no. I try not to do that, but one thing I've learned. I from always the- walk in I'm like, "What's up, Jason? What's up, Will? <laughs> <laughs> Working out today? Yeah. All right. Will you crying? I, yeah, I do cry a little bit when I go in there. <laughs> not yeah, no, I am. There's no crying at Fit Rev. Nah, there <laughs> is. But, there is, but uh, tears of joy. Tears, tears of, joy. of joy, man. I've seen people cry because they're starting to believe in themselves. Very powerful thing. Uh, what I've learned from one of my coaches is the way you market to get new members, you have to do the same exact thing to get new employees. New, I don't call them employees. I call them team members. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking for, I'm looking for top, top talent, man, people that are like-minded. I'm a go-getter, man. Like, we don't stop till the job is done. But that's yeah. just how it was from the Army. So mission first. What is FitRev's, like, what's your model, right? Because there's a million different gyms out there. So what does FitRev do? Obviously, you got a great leader with a great team. But, I mean, as far as, like, the workout's concerned, like, what does that look like? Uh, the workouts? Like, because I know William goes every day at lunch. Like, yep. is it a program that William's on? Or is it, like, a class? Like, or is it just an open gym for folks that don't know? So what we focus on now, right off the top, I tell everybody, it doesn't matter what I offer, okay? What matters is why you go there. Mm-hmm. So what FitRev offers is a problem, a solution to your problem. So, Dennis, you walk in, first thing I'm going to ask you, we're not even going to talk about group sessions, nothing. First thing I'm going to ask you is what's your goal and why do you want to get there? Because realistically, no one gives a shit what, what classes I offer, if it's open gym, none of that stuff. If I do that, and that's what I did for three years, I essentially made my company into a commodity company. Mm-hmm. All right, you come in there tell them stuff they really don't want to hear about, classes, and they could just go across the street and get it for $10. So I'll lose that battle every time. 
So when people show up to FitRev, the first thing, what are your goals? Why is this important to you? And here's my solution to it. So I think the why is very important there. Correct. Because everybody will ask, what's your goals? But then why is that your goal? Why is that your goal? Correct. What I tell people, goals without purpose means jack shit. You need to have purpose. We all have goals, right? Yep. I have goals to be generationally wealthy one day, but I have purpose behind that. I'm getting up at 4 a.m., going to sleep late, working diligently, you know, reading, constantly doing things. So I think the biggest thing at FitRev is, one, we have people come there because I'm I'm essentially going to change your life and get you to believe in yourself. Those are our two biggest principles. Change your life, get you to believe in yourself. And once I do that, I mean, I got people... They lose 50 pounds. Now they have more money in their bank account, right? They have a better relationship with their wife. They have a better relationship at work. And I hear all these excuses. Well, I don't know if my husband wants me to do this. I don't have no time for the kid. I don't have time. I got my kids. You are doing your, you're doing your family, all right? You're, you're the people that pay you, your job. You're doing everybody a disservice. If your job didn't want you to be healthy, they wouldn't give you health benefit, the, the health incentives for being healthy. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't give you memberships at gyms. They understand how effective it is to have healthy employees or team members. They're more right. productive. They're happier. Your children. Have you guys ever, I mean, who wants unhealthy parents Right. that yeah. you know you're going to have to take care well, of? Well, yeah. for me, that's why I wanted to own a gym was because my dad was, he smoked and he died when I was um you know, uh, younger. So, uh, that's why I wanted to be healthy. And that's why I try to be healthy. Just like you, you know, you want to be healthy for your kids and stuff. So that's a great point. Uh, Dennis. But with that, I mean, health also brings self-confidence to your point, which yep. is going to bring you more money, whatever job you have, right. You feel Correct. better about yourself because of that fitness, like, boom, you're, you're a different human being because Correct. of that, which is a big thing. And yep. I feel like you help people get that confidence, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Especially, if you're a public figure, if you're in sales, I mean, once again, you got to look the part, right? If you don't look the part, that's the first that's the first source of credibility you have. I feel like I don't look my part as an insurance salesman. I feel like I'm way too fit <laughs> for <laughs> insurance sales. You look good. Well, keep it my up. My goal man. is to get to 190 for Cancun, and my why is because I want to be the best-looking salesman there, and someone told me, like, you probably already that but um correct anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> just want uh, a country speedo man that'll make you stand out that's a i mean a I pickle tell yeah country pickle speedo. <laughs> easy <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reason though i mean everybody's why is different i mean honestly why am i working out so i've lost 14 pounds in the last in the last eight weeks okay why am i doing it it's very one all the other stuff right the health benefits but at 41, I still want to have abs. So when the younger dudes over there looking mm-hmm. big-bellied, man, how old are you? And I tell them, like, oh, man, damn, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell my young son, my 21-year-old my that, hey, your pops is going to hang with you, man. Don't even, yeah. like, keep up with him. I'm not going to really hang out with him, but keep up with him. So uh, something that we've really got to talk about that's been here the whole time in the screen that we haven't even mentioned is, is Bristol. So yep. tell us about Bristol. Uh, Bristol is essentially my best friend. He's my service dog. All right. Uh, and he hasn't moved. I mean, yeah, he's highly trained, man. He knows <laughs> he's highly he's, trained. He's like, my dad already knows. I got Bristol from K9 for Warriors. When I retired from the Army, I'll just, I'll be candid with you guys. 
I spent my whole young adult life in the military, so that was my whole identity. I was somebody in the military, like I said, maintenance test pilot, sexy job, all these great things. When I got, when I retired, all that stuff was stripped away from me. So being in a combat three times, I was a medevac pilot. I mean, I've seen more trauma than the average person has seen. I mean, I've seen a lot of crazy shit and the, the, the capability of what a human body could go through and still be alive. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just a lot of trauma, all those. So I have mental I have me, I have mental health issues and uh, I had a few physical limitations as well. You see me working out at the gym, but every day of my life is in pain. I got back pains, uh, knee pain, mm-hmm. but exercising helps me with that. So mm-hmm. I retired from the army. I hit a very, very, very low point in my life. I got a divorce, lost the military by myself. So I had to figure out a way. I had to make a conscious decision. Once again, mental health is a big thing. It's yeah. very, it's something that we don't talk about in the military, but it's, well, it's, it's very taboo. In yeah, society. it's very taboo, very and, taboo. And it's sad, especially amongst men, right? Because mm-hmm. we got to be superhero all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll never forget this day. I was sitting on the couch and I had to figure out something I had to do because my life was just headed down a dark path that I really didn't want to go down. So I essentially went to the VA. VA told me about canine warriors because they wanted to put me on medication. I tried it. It just didn't work for me. So I got I got linked up with Bristol. I got him in January 2018, and we've been together ever since. This wow. this, this guy saved my life. Him and uh, him and working out, two things, saved my life. And so Bristol, he, he can kind of sense whenever your PTSD is coming back, correct? Yep. Okay, and so, like, if there's something going on, he can just kind of get you out of that situation? Correct. So his job, and it, it's crazy. People don't believe it. I, we've been in situations where I had things that were about to, you know, get me flared up. He senses that, and he'll draw my attention away from that. He'll get me out of the room. He'll just do whatever it takes just to get my mind out of that. Yeah. So, and just the fact of having him with me all the time. He's not with me all the time. He's with me about 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Because he is working right now, so he's under a high level of stress, too. When I first got him... Oh, really? Yeah, when I first got him, he never got a day off. He was with me 100% of the time. About 90 days into it, I tried to get him out of bed, and he just wasn't responding. I thought he was sick. I'm like, damn, I hope my dog is okay. So I yeah. called up Canine for Warriors, and the first question they asked, how often is he working, Jason? I said, about 100 hours a week. They're like, holy shit. <laughs> They're like, hey, he needs a day off. <laughs> I'm like, for real? They're like, yes. So now I give him, I'll give him Friday, Saturday off, depending on what we're doing. But he'll get two days off a week. So, all right, I got to ask this because this is fascinating. Because I always see Bristol at the gym. He's always with Jason at the gym mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. At his side, never moving. He doesn't run around. Nothing. What is kind of like your dog, right? You got a dog. No, my dog is spaz, man. He's crazy (laughs) as hell. Um, What's his day off look like? This, but at home sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he's at home sleeping. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So him not being around you is less stress for him, right? So because he's protecting you when he's around you. Correct. So he is so smart that he knows once that vest comes off and once the collar comes off, it's a switch. Mm. He knows he's done with work. So he'll be he'll he'll get the zoomies. He'll run around the house, play a little bit. Then he'll eat and go to sleep. But he knows he knows what's going on. So, he so for a, him, it's the vest. Yeah. So you get home vest off, and he's off duty per se. Yep. Yeah. I'll give him a I'll give him a a, uh, what's a word to let him know he's off, and then bam, he's good to go. 
And then he just runs around the house crazy, man. Yeah, Fitzy, man. And he's he's 80 pounds, so he's breaking shit as he runs. <laughs> <laughs> Knocks the baby over. I mean, <laughs> he's pretty crazy. Uh, does she love him? I bet she loves him. Oh, yeah. I got a video on my phone where he's sitting there, and she's just kissing him on the face, and he's just loving it. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, tell us a little amazing. bit more about K9 for Warriors. Are you still affiliated with them? Yeah, I'm a uh, brand ambassador. I'll go do uh, – I just did one with uh, IFMA down in Nashville. Mm. They raised uh, $35,000 for a service, wow. though. I'll go and do some speaking engagements, just you know, tell people about the program. K9 for Warriors is the largest organization that provides service service dogs to uh, veterans. They do they do around 400 dogs a year. Wow, yeah. not a year. It's about 18. It's not 400. I think the total amount they did is about 500 dogs so far. Okay. 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 Yeah. It's not that many because there's only about 12 people per class. Gotcha. So, but yeah, they uh, everything is free to the veteran. All I had to do is pay for my transportation. Bristol is the Bristol's worth about thirty thousand dollars. All right, twenty five to thirty thousand. Mm. You go down to uh, Florida, everything's free. They feed you for three weeks. So when you show up, I'm just with Bristol, isolated from the world. I can't see anybody. I could call people, Facetime, that type of stuff. But we're just there. They're teaching me how to be a dog handler because mm. he's already trained. Now I have to learn how to keep him in check and train him as well. And then we just spend uh, 18 days together. When I get home, he has he had to stay attached to me for another 30 days, mm. 24 hours, except for while we slept. So in the house, he was tethered to me. Wow. So now I don't even need a leash. I mean, I have a leash because it's law, but him and our bond is so tight. It's it's crazy. He is impressive, man. So are there certain dogs that are more predisposed to, to making good service animals? No, actually, only only one out of four dogs make it. So they have to go through all these tests, temperament tests, uh, obedience tests. I mean, wow. they have to make sure they don't use the bathroom in public. I mean, it's very hard to be a service dog. Mm -hmm. Were you talking about breeds? Was there a particular breed? Yeah, a certain or type of breed. Or I mean, he, uh, yeah, okay. he it just but he's a it. chocolate lab. Correct. Yeah. Um, to Dennis's question about is there any other nonprofits? I know FitRev sponsors a lot of nonprofits. You've yep. sponsored the Ronald McDonald House. Yep. Um, what are some other nonprofits? And then talk about um, our uh, workout for wishes. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that too. But what's what's some of the others that you've worked with in the past? Uh, let me think. Trying to th we do the uh, foster children. Foster children, yeah. Uh, we do Ronald McDonald House, Canine for Warriors. Those are the three big ones right there. I know you and I are going to get together for. Uh, so for this quarter, uh, B3 is sponsoring uh, Make a Wish. So we're actually sponsoring B3 sponsoring Make a Wish raising money, but me and Jason have partnered up in April, uh, the end of April to do uh, wishes, what is it, workout for wishes, so workout mm -hmm. for wishes, so we're going to raise money to sponsor a wish in, in Sumner County, so really excited about that, that's going to be a lot of fun yep. coming up. Um, I'm all about giving back, man, there's a lot of people out there that need help, Yeah, but I think, I think the best thing we could do as leaders is provide them the capability of believing in themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, it's easy to give people money, right? But if we give them that that hope and that 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 ability to be like, you know what, I can do this. It may it may take some time, but let's just work at it. I think that's better than money sometimes. Yeah, yeah, actually change a life. Yeah, like you were saying earlier with the wedding toast. Yep. 
That's awesome. What, so what's new or what's next for FitRev? Like as we sit here now, what, what does the plan for the gym look like in the future? Uh, the plan is I'm just trying to keep keep growing right now. Me as, a, me as the owner, I'm really st- stepping back now. I need to get some more trainers in there. And my vision, my job as the owner is to communicate the vision and build the vision, right? Get it out there. So I want to try to get out of the company as much as I am. I'm I'm not as as much as I used to be. I used to be on the floor all day, but it's I'm not there anymore. I just want to let people know Gallatin, Hendersonville, Gulletsville, there is a place that you can come and really change your life. It's going to cost you money. I'm not even going to bullshit you. But people that pay pay attention. People that are willing to pay really they're not going to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're going to they're going to take this seriously and get to their goal as fast as they can safely. So the the future of FitRev looks very bright. We'll hit our, I mean, hell, we, we lived through COVID. Yeah. I mean, we literally yeah, lived through Yeah, look at how many gyms shut down. Correct. During COVID. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Every day. And we, like. and we still made it. So that's the biggest thing. I want, I want the community to know that if you're feeling – if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling hopeless, like, damn, I'll never lose this weight, I'll never be healthy, come talk to us at FitRev. I'm going to be a straight shooter with you. Let you know these are the things you have to do. Stop bullshitting already, okay? Stop making up these excuses that I don't have time for my children. If you, if there's anybody you need to have time for, is you're, you're asked to work out so your children can see you be healthy. Hey, if the plane's going down, you put the mask on yourself first, Correct. right? Correct. So. Well, I learned something from my coach. I can't pour into anybody else with an empty cup, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to fill my cup first before I start pouring into everybody else. So that applies to, to parents. That applies to if you're a leader in the community. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you're healthy. I mean, you just have to. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, Jason, it's been it's been a pleasure, man. It's been a lot of fun having you here. We're going to wrap up with five speed questions. You ready? All right, let's go. All right, right. here we go. Where is your happy place? My truck. What kind of truck? Chevy Silverado, 2011, pimped out. Awesome. (laughs) I love it. It's a nice truck, yeah. It is nice. What would you do if you were not doing what you do now? Hmm. I'd still, I'd find another platform to serve serve people. Okay. Yeah. Service. Who is the who is your hero or somebody you look up to the most? Uh, my hero are combat medics, flight medics. I've seen these guys do some crazy shit in my life. When I see a young lady or a young gal jumping out of an aircraft in a hot LZ, not knowing if there's landmines out there, just just that level of compassion and 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 uh, courage to go out there on the land of unknown to go save another American or whoever it is out there. Those those young men and women, they're my uh, they're my heroes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what is your most impactful book, podcast, something that kind of spurs some interest or life to you? Oh man, I would say Lone Survivor. That book. When it's you a see, great book. It, yeah, the it's level of one. commitment. Yeah. That's I think that's one thing I love and I miss about the army. Mm. The level of commitment you have to these these people to your left and right. I mean, it doesn't matter where the hell we're from. You could be from rural Kentucky, from the Bronx in New York. That shit doesn't matter. We're all here to make sure we all get home. And I think uh, Lone Survivor really puts that into into perspective yeah. that when you care about somebody, it, it doesn't matter what they look like, what their beliefs are. It, it just comes down to basic instinct survival. 
Yeah. Awesome. Last one. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Shit, I already got one. <laughs> I know how to fly already. <laughs> there we go. I like right. it. Right on. But realistically, right on. I tell everybody this. If I had a superpower, it'd be uh, to control time. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, that'd be because there's moments that you want to live in longer. Mm-hmm. All right. There's some things that you may want to change. So controlling time would be my superpower. I'd be Dr. Strange. That's I awesome. Like right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Jason, man, um, I got to say cheers to you, and, and also, man, thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. To, yeah, uh, thank you country. for your service. Thank you. Thanks for bringing Bristol along oh, with no you today, man. Special treat. And uh, also want to make sure we give our guy behind the camera, Brian Holloway with Black Box Media, a shout-out, as well as 106 Public Square for uh, hosting us in this awesome facility here today. So thanks for checking in, B3 Nation. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.